0: Welcome to Amnesty International's comedy podcast series. This year, Amnesty's had exclusive backstage access at two of the biggest events on the comedy calendar, the 2014 Edinburgh Festival Fringe and the Balham Comedy Festival in London. We'll be bringing you a series of interviews with some of the greatest stand-up comedians working today, and along with finding out about the business of laughter, we'll be chatting about life, politics and human rights. This episode, we talk to the extremely funny stand-up and novelist Mary Burke. She'll be discussing why so few women are seen on TV panel shows, the reality of heckling, and her latest all-female comedy project.
1: Welcome, Mary Burke. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for doing this interview for Amnesty International at the Palam Comedy
2: Festival. Um, How has it been for you this evening? It's, It's a lovely gig. It's a lovely gig. You never know... What these gigs are going to be like because I've been doing solo shows for the last month, and so people will come along to see a show about feminism, which is just me doing talk about feminism for an hour. But here, I'm just one person on a the bill, and they haven't paid to see me specifically, so that can always be a bit tricky. But it was good; it went well. I'm happy with it. So, have you um, played at Ballum very often? Have you been
1: here a couple of times? Um,
2: I think most people do it about twice a year, but I mean, it's, it's comedian's favorite club. It's one of the favorite clubs we are because it's been here for years, and Dave really loves comedy. And he's a big supporter of female comics as well, so he always trying to have women on the bill, like every single week if he possibly can.
1: Well, what you just mentioned there, that touches on something we were discussing earlier about the lack of women being represented at festivals around the country, V Festival, Tea in the Park, and also on a lot of television panel shows. How
2: do you feel about that and why do you think it's happening? Well, I I think the BBC have to have, which I think is they have like one woman on per panel show, but it's just a woman. It doesn't have to be someone who's a comic. It's just a woman. So you'll have someone who's not really related to whatever. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, they
1: have people like from on from the only way is Essex.
2: You think well, okay, she has a vagina, but that's not really what's her other qualification. I mean, that's even more tokenistic. That's even worse. Than having a, do you know what I mean? You just, uh, we're, we're just going to be really overt about having an, a token woman on. Woman's got no relation to what it is that we're talking about. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, I, I, it's gotten worse. I mean, I, the reason I wrote the show about feminism last year was because I was so annoyed at what was going on in the circuit. And if anything, sadly, I think it's gotten worse
1: that's interesting
2: because when I think we've taken a step back a major step back which is very very depressing why
1: do you think that is because I know when it it blew up in the press about these festivals I was quite surprised at some of the comments from male comedians very well known male comedians and one of them was well (coughs) you know women uh, aren't prepared to do the travel that's involved, which really oh,
2: shocked me. Shit, isn't it? yeah. um, and it's and it was because apparently, if you get if you travel for long distances, your ovaries are going to explode. If <laughs> that's just nonsense. It's just, and it's so condescending as well. And, just, and then the other excuses are, um, oh well, you know, we tried to book some women, but they weren't available.
1: What do you think's going on? Why do you think this is happening?
2: I think the people the people who book these festivals, um, they don't cast a wide enough net. I mean I'm doing a show at Edinburgh called Funny for a Girl and the reason I did it is because I'm getting every day there are four different women on a bill we're all different from each other but all equally funny and it's to showcase all the women out there who you don't see necessarily see on telly but I know are really brilliant club comics and the problem is that sometimes um just promoters will just go to certain agents and go you know send me a win but not every comic has, like, a big-time agent, do you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. they need to cast... They need to put more effort into searching for women. There are brilliant women out there, but they need to go looking for them, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. And um, just in your own career, have you you come across
2: a lot of sexist or misogynistic attitudes? To to be honest, no. And I'm actually married to a comic. That's how much I love comics. I haven't. But I think a lot of it's very honestly I haven't I I, I just noticed when I what I I found most depressing on the professional the pro circuit that I'm on it's fine I think it's okay I mean I I do what I do but the open mic circuit is just this I remember doing an open the reason I wrote the show Muffragette is because I did an open mic night and at least three or four of the young guys did rape jokes bad bad rape jokes and I remember thinking and they didn't get any just an attempt to be edgy And I remember thinking, what a hostile work environment this was for young women who are trying to break through. And that's the most difficult time, being a female comic, is when you're an open micer and you're desperately trying to make through. So when you have, like, um, you've got comedy courses, it's usually 50% male, 50% female. But the women drop out loads of drop out during that first year and and the first year is when they need the most support I think Mm. but because it's such a hostile work environment people doing rape jokes and stuff it's really Mm. difficult to keep going on we had one case during the year where uh, a young open mic was introduced on stage as being a prostitute by a male promoter oh my god and then she got, it, it was and then he kind of denied doing it. And he I know he did it because a friend of mine was in the audience. I remember her, mm-hmm. like, she she emailed me after. it's going, what the hell's going on over there? And what really saddened me was the fact that a lot of the open micers support the promoter because mm-hmm. they want to get a gig at his club. Yeah. And so she was kind of shamed for telling the truth. And she's actually stopped doing stand-up now, which makes me incredibly sad. But that's the kind of hostile work. And we just have to keep on going. We just have to keep on you know speaking your truth whatever
1: um, it's interesting what you said earlier about in some ways it's gone backwards because um you know we were in edinburgh last year you did a great podcast for us um but there was an awful lot of rape jokes
2: whizzing around edinburgh and being rape news. jokes and aren't funny yeah. i mean i'm a huge fan. i mean i do a rape joke but I, it's it's there has to be a reason or a context for you doing the rape joke if it's just to shock people that's not enough I I can think of at least four women who do really good rape jokes and they do them for a reason and they're phenomenal I don't mind Mm. people pushing boundaries but don't do it just for a childish attempt to shock yeah that's not a good number, and plus they're crap jokes as well
1: yeah yeah, exactly. They're not funny. Yeah,
2: Did and, then you the punchline, t- and then I raped her. Is that your punchline? There's got to be more than that. I mean, yeah. it's a hack as well. So. Yeah. Amnesty International obviously defends freedom of
1: expression, which is a right. But we also say that there are responsibilities that come along with any rights. Just generally, do you think, you know, there are some areas that you have a responsibility not to talk about? Or
2: No, I think nothing is taboo. All right. I ask is that you do, that you be funny. Yeah, And if your rape joke isn't funny and it's hack, then that to me is a bigger crime. No, nothing's taboo. Absolutely nothing's taboo. Mm. Because if you start laying down kind of boundaries for what comedy... As a comic, I mean, if you ever get comics together in a dressing room, what we say is way worse. (laughs) Because you develop a very... You become desensitized to comedy after a while. And so the only way we can get a laugh from each other is by going darker and darker and darker. And I would never want to police that. But what, what annoys me is someone does like a really hack-rape joke. Or there's no context for you doing what it is that you're doing. If yes. there's a reason for you doing it, fair enough, fine. But if it's just... And then you come off stage and claim you're being ironic, that's not enough. It's not enough. Something else I wanted to ask you is a couple of times when we've interviewed um,
1: female comedians, we've talked about how they consider what they're wearing on stage. Because I remember we interviewed Sarah Pascoe and she said, now I just wear whatever I was wearing during the day. But earlier on in her career, she she considered it quite carefully because the the moment a woman stands under a spotlight, she can be judged. quite Oh, harshly. what you
2: wear is is vital. I mean, yes. I, I think good for her. I have a totally different. I wear totally different clothes on stage to what I do during the rest of the day. How do you decide? What kind of thought process do you go through when you're thinking about what to wear on stage? Um, I wear a. I always wear dresses, I always wear five-inch heels, it's a very feminine image, or what is perceived as a very feminine image, but what I find is, weirdly, and this says a lot about, this says a lot about, I can get away with a lot more if I'm wearing a dress and heels than I can if I'm dressed in just like a pair of trousers and some t-shirt I might have been doing the gardening in. is very odd I I, I like to disconcert the audience because my voice is very soft yeah and so if I'm wearing a dress I look quite nice but it I like to disconcert them and throw them for a loop because what's coming out of my mouth and what I look like are totally totally different at odds with each other and so I think that that's really and I also like to look very feminine on stage I think well why should I want to look masculine I I don't want to ape masculinity I want to be as feminine as as possible, yeah. Because as i a well, woman, I'm not going to try and hide that, mm. you know.
1: I agree. I've
2: always thought equality doesn't mean acting like a man. Do you know what I mean? And that's why not... should male be the gold standard? Well yes. that's that's what we all strive to be as male as possible. No. Yeah. Embrace the feminine. My voice is very light. I'm not high energy, but I hope that when I do a gig, the audience will come to me, mm. and that's that's a, that's a, that's a kind of power as well. But it's a very mm. quiet power. Mm. And a very female power, I think. Yeah, that's very
1: interesting. I was having a similar discussion at work about what it means to be powerful in the workplace. It doesn't, it doesn't a, involve shouting or bawling. Yes, you don't or have yeah, to ape yeah. male behaviour. You can still be feminine and, and have power and control, and I think that it's important to keep hold of that. If I could just go back to when you first began, what was it or who was it that
2: inspired you to go into comedy... I read Joan Rivers autobiography, Enter Talking, yeah. which if anybody's interested in comedy, please get the book because it is amazing. And also Phyllis Diller has written a well, she's she's passed now, but she she wrote a book called, um, what was her autobiography is like a lampshade in a whorehouse or something. I mean, she entered comedy when she was 40 and had five children. Wow. So, I mean, in the 1950s, where it was way more sexist than it is now. But these women just kind of barreled through. They are very funny. And I just thought, that's such an inspiration. And I remember seeing comedy thinking, I can do that. That looks easy. But, of yes. course, not realising <laughs> that it takes years to get that kind of ease on stage. Yeah. That kind of what they call stage comfort, where you just look like you're chatting to people. Because... It, it takes so long to get that and that's the difficult thing. So when you were
1: starting off, how were if you can remember those early gigs. Dreadful. I was dreadful. <laughs> I was appalling.
2: But I, I, I just wanted to get better. Yeah. And there's, there's a bit in there. there's a film called A League of Their Own, a female baseball team. Yeah, yeah. And one of the that. girls is bitching about how difficult it is and the coach goes, But the fact that it's difficult is what makes it great. Yeah. If anybody could do what we do, there's no pleasure in that. But the yeah. fact that it's really difficult and most people would sooner die, they get on stage and chat to people. That's what makes the skill, so, just the skill of acquiring it is, is so amazing. Yeah.
1: Do you find um, now, do you ever get heckled or how do you deal with that? Do you think, heck, do you think women get different heckles to men generally?
2: Heckling is really rare. Yeah. I, mean, I know that's people's number one fear. It's really rare. And, mm-hmm. and most times... God, I can't even remember the last time I got heckled, and most times it's just drunk people who are trying to join in. It's not even—it's not even malicious. It's just they just kind of echo what it is that you're saying. Yeah. But I don't know. I guess if they feel that you're in control of what you're doing, people are very kind of loath to heckle you. And sometimes it can be women as well. I remember um, I did a labour gig actually about two Sundays ago. And sometimes when I do dark stuff, I will get people going. Oh, and I hate that kind of moan and I always stop the gig and go you do realise these are jokes don't you yeah. and I'll pick out one of <laughs> one that, do you know about how a joke works yeah. they're not real so I mean that usually kind of shuts it down I can't even remember the time, last time I got heckled no I don't think so no do you find any difference
1: in audiences around the country? Because are you living in Newcastle at the moment? No,
2: I I, I was. We were going to move to Newcastle. My sister lives in Newcastle, but we're yeah. in Buckinghamshire at the moment.
1: Oh, so. right. Okay. Do you find, so like, so when you do go up north, do you find the audiences are different? Do you ever... Would oh, you Newcastle
2: ever, is rocking. I mean, any of those kind of ports like Newcastle and Glasgow... The thing I love about them is if they really like you, they really like you. I mean, the room yeah. literally rocks. But if they don't,
1: Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: mean, Glasgow is probably the only place where I've ever done a gig and I was on with an American actor and he did really bad. And they didn't like him. And people actually came up to him afterwards and they were really annoyed. I've never been any where punched actually come up and go, no. And, and they were they were very articulate about what they didn't like about what it that was that he did. Yeah. And I, I, I just, I just love play, I That's what I love about it. It's, it's really, it's, it's very authentic. If they like you, they really like you. If they don't, they're, oh God. <laughs> Dying in Glasgow is just, oh, it's brutal.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how people. Uh, John Maloney, I remember him saying that he always finds Manchester sometimes a tricky crowd.
2: Manchester, I find tricky. Liverpool is fine, but they have this kind of weird idea that they're funnier than you are, which I it just <laughs> irritates me. Manchester, I, I guess because I'm Irish, I don't really have because they don't like Southerners. So I guess because I'm Irish, I don't really fit into. They kind of they're yeah. open to it a bit more than if I were from like London. Yeah, i would be probably a bit more tricky.
1: I was reading about your past, and the um, I'm not a
2: burlesque dancer. I way. know that was a joke. Well, I was yeah. gonna say
1: it says because you'd said the truth is actually really boring, and I'm a really private person. So it's that kind of to bat off like people you know, kind of asking you questions about your background or... Yeah, because it's
2: not really relevant. I mean, what I do now is the most important thing. I mean, I could have spent 10 years in prison in Algeria, but it's nobody's business but my own. Yeah. But the only thing that really I'm concerned about is the work I'm doing now, so... Yeah. And people always could... Yeah, what you did, it doesn't matter what I did in the past, that's what I'm doing now. So. Yeah, yeah. And
1: if... Theresa May and the Conservatives have said that they intend to scrap the Human Rights Act um, after the next election. Um, and... Human rights, generally, has taken a bit of a bashing in the press, in in the tabloid press in recent years. Can you tell me why you think
2: human rights are important to you and why they should be preserved? Well, the idea of freedom of expression being curtailed is, is appalling, especially as a comic. I mean, the great thing I love about being a comic is that it's just, there's no filter, it's just me and a mic, and I can say whatever it is I want on stage. And the idea that I might be curtailed in some way is, is dreadful, it's
1: appalling. And there are lots of comedians around the world that use comedy to make comment about the ruling regime. Um, it's a, a way to speak to people, really. There's a very famous Burmese comedian called Sagana who was sentenced to, I think, 59 years in prison for making jokes about the ruling regime. He's since been released, but he said it's quite a powerful tool Um when would audience... be terrible if he were
2: really bad comic? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: he's was got knowledge for Blizzy. He's it's just it. like an
2: open micer. He's not even that good. <laughs> he came over to London and he did a
1: gig yeah, for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. And we, like, we were like, we were like, we hope he's funny. And we went to see him. We were like, oh, thank God, he's really funny. Actually, he is really funny. That's fine. Oh my God, because you're like, what if he's terrible? Do you know what I mean? But he wasn't. He was great. But so when people come along to your show. When they leave what do you hope they'll take away with them
2: the, ho- the whole reason I did Muffer Jet and also with Funny for a Girl and please book some tickets in Edinburgh because I, <laughs> I want to get loads yes, of free definitely readings, she's amazing is, is that um with Funny for a Girl I want to show people here are four different women on a bill and every day I've got different women we always close at music because I like music I think it's a fun way to visit to, to, to end a show but here are four funny women all of us different all different styles we're not the same and we're all equally funny. And it's just a lovely showcase for for women in Edinburgh, because I know I couldn't find any other show in Edinburgh that had four women on the bill. I mean, there are some ones that have like open micers and stuff, but that's a different thing. But these are all professional comics who you've never seen before. But trust me, yeah, I've curated this thing and I, and I know that verb sounds wanky but I don't care <laughs> and and I've chosen all the women I find really really funny and I put them together in on one bill and you'll go there and you'll have a great time and as for Muffergette it was a show about feminism and I wanted to make a show about feminism that wasn't boring or preachy and it was also really funny and mm-hmm. also make you think as well. Mary Pert, thank you so
1: much for giving us your time. Mm-hmm.
0: If you're interested in learning more about human rights or joining Amnesty International, then please go to our website, amnesty.org.uk and make sure you don't miss our next episode. Here's a sneak peek.
1: I've just seen your terrific new show, Stand Uppy. Can you tell our listeners what they could expect from it?
0: It's an attempt to make sense of the wider world through personal stories, basically, with some stupid stuff thrown in and... I try and get away with stuff by raising my eyebrows a lot and and trying to get a gleam in my eyes when I'm saying something distasteful or unpleasant.